I feel like we always start the same. I feel like we need to freshen things up. What do we got? You got anything? And it's episode 28 of Fits and Starts. John, <laughs> John Drexler, the San Francisco <laughs> treat. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> we, uh, hey, we made it all the way to 28 episodes. Can you believe it? I, I can't believe it. Um, also, it's 2018. 28, 2018. Oh, Whoa. man. A lot happened. Hey, we missed we missed a week last week. We, bo- we I, I got really, really sick, and then... Work started back up, and you and I, we just totally, uh, we, we, we missed it. We missed a whole week. This is our first time missing a deadline. But guess what? It's worth it. It's totally worth it, because this week is especially good. Uh, Daniel, tell us about our guest this week. Uh, we got we got Stephen Hackett on the show. Uh, Stephen Hackett Stephen of, of many, Hackett. many, many things. Most interestingly to me, uh, 512 Pixels and uh, Relay.fm, the... The great and wonderful mm-hmm. podcast network. Stephen runs a podcast network called Relay FM, and it, it is. Uh, it, there are so many shows on there that we both love, and uh, there's a ton of hosts on there that we mm-hmm. both love. They've done an awesome job. And, and Relay, uh, in case you guys weren't aware, is the home of Dose previous guests of the show, uh, Brianna Wu and Merlin Mann. Both have podcasts on Relay. That's right. That's right. So this is our third Relay guest. We also, uh, as always, want to draw attention to our Patreon content. Uh, we have a Patreon. You can see the link. Uh, we call it a little, our little tip jar. If you want to uh, contribute to uh, the cost of the show, you know, which is basically like hosting and some art and some some other stuff, new microphones, etc., uh, new software to to make the show happen. We would love to just not pay for that ourselves and make you pay for it. So if you want to do that, uh, you can click through. Daniel, what's the uh, what's the topic this week? Uh, topic this week is uh, board games and uh, how to imprison a corporation. <laughs> so each <laughs> for every <laughs> for every episode, we do uh, a bonus topic that is only online, only for patrons. Yeah, usually what happens is we get on to record an intro, and then there's some topic rattling around <laughs> one of our brains, and it becomes the Patreon content. And very frequently, it's my favorite thing we discussed that week. Last but not least, we also want to hype up uh, something that someone's doing that we like. And uh, you may remember a guest, Estelle Caswell, from last summer, I think like sometime in June or July. What episode number was that, Vince? Uh, I don't know. It was right before I moved. Estelle Caswell. Number 14. 14. So Estelle was on uh, episode number 14. She creates these amazing videos for Vox.com. And when she was on the show, she was talking about how she's kind of pivoting a little bit at Vox to be less of a generalist and focus more on this new project called Earworm, where every couple weeks she puts out a super awesome video analyzing music. And over Christmas, I actually watched a bunch of these videos. They're super good. She does one on Radiohead. Uh, She does one on Jay Dilla. That's super, super good. Uh, She talks about how triplets took over rap music. It's very good. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Oh, I watched that one. Check that out. She's, She's still killing it. like a there's like a freedom to speak uh issue there you know and like it, it's it's awkward especially for those of us who work on the internet where it's like everyone i work with knows about this podcast everyone you know they listen to some of them listen to this podcast you know so like i can i can say whatever i want here because i i happen to have like the 
the fortunate situation of like working at a place that doesn't really care what I do. Yeah. But uh, I think for a lot of people, there is less freedom to sort of go out and into the world and just kind of say whatever they want, Mm -hmm. you know? And now that like we work on the internet and, you know, your, your Twitter profile is like a little bit tied to your, your work sometimes or often, you know? Um, and you know, that led to the whole, like, you know, retweets are not endorsements and, you know, that whole (laughs) sort of idea where Mm -hmm. people are trying to like do their best to separate like their online, uh, you know, opinions and identity from their work. Um, but there's a certain point where like, when you're speaking in public, you have to make a decision about like, am I going to talk in a way that my job would be okay with or not in a way that my job would be okay with? And it's it's an awkward thing. Um, when I, when we, when we started Relay, I was transparent about that with my with the owners of the company I was at because they were, were all pretty close and they followed me on Twitter and obviously I've got to talk about my podcast online right so they knew um but yeah sometimes you know then I had to go back whatever it was you know a year and a half later and be like oh that thing I started 18 months ago I'm gonna go do that now and not work for you anymore and they saw it coming mm-hmm. from a mile away uh, but it's uh, it's it's always, it's always awkward because even if you don't, even if you have a job where you you're only there from nine to five, right? And by that I mean you clock in or whatever, and you do your work and you leave your work there, and until nine a.m. again, they're not going to bother you. You're not you're not responsible for checking your email or being on call or even thinking about it. That's that's great mm-hmm. because then you have that room for side stuff. But the reality is, I think in the 21st century, most jobs aren't that way. I mean, there, there are lots that are, but at least the jobs I've had, I never had a job like that. I never had a job where at 5 p.m. I just strolled out the door with a smile on my face, whistling, and then come back in at nine. Like it was always, mm-hmm. it was always saying, "Hey, you know, you need to be aware. You know, this thing's going on, or being on call because it's IT, or you know, you've got a big client who needs something and." you're working late to get it done. And so I, I never really had jobs with those clear boundaries and that made it harder because without that separation, even if I was working on something uh, outside of work hours, it always felt more like cheating the company that was actually paying my mortgage than it was. And that, that's a very messy thing. And I think maybe I struggle with it because I really like work and, and I, you know, just dive into things, but there's always that tension, I think. I think it's a very 21st century thing. And maybe it's a millennial thing, um, even though I'm an ancient millennial <laughs> at the upper end of it. I think a lot of people our age like struggle with that and like don't really know how to put work in a box and like put it on the shelf and then pick it back up the next day because it's um, we want to find meaning in it and we want to change the world or whatever. And it's just that I think is stressful. Like it just adds stress to this. Yeah, I I learned about myself like a few years ago that, and I've actually said, my current boss, I actually had this conversation with him and I said, I am capable of being inspired to work overtime Mm -hmm. so that you, so you know, like I am the type of person who like with a good like pep talk can be inspired to do a whole lot of stuff that I probably shouldn't do. (laughs) Um, So you know that. And I know that, and I know that you know that, and like, please be responsible with that knowledge, <laughs> right? Like, you can, like, any, at any time, like, the heroic instinct in me is just raring to go to like solve whatever problem you need solving and resent you for it later, right? Yeah. Um, 
And I think that's something, and I want, I do think it's slightly a millennial thing. I don't know. I think it's to some extent tied to the like wanting to change the world thing, but it also feels a little bit like it's based on, I think like jobby jobs or like career-ish jobs are rarer for our age of people. And because of that, I think like we have this weird aspiration to just like have a job and be like a worker. Um, and that's something I think that's like less common for, you know, people in their mid twenties now than it was for people in their mid twenties, 15 years ago. Um, and I think those, I think the, the fact that, uh, people I think feel lucky to just have a job and have a career, um, and that forces them to sort of be okay with like fudging the line between like that and their identity, right? Because it's almost like a badge of honor to have a career at this age, which is like so strange. Um, people are, people's identities get tied up in that and they're more capable of, I think, being manipulated into those, into those sort of heroic feats of workaholism or whatever. Yeah. I think that's totally fair. Yeah. I I think, I mean, some of both of you just touched on is, is, uh, the extent to which people, I think, especially, especially young, I don't know. I don't know if it's actually a millennial thing. I think, I don't know if maybe it's just a people thing or whatever, but it does feel like people want to find uh, meaning and fulfillment in, in their work. And uh, what happens when you seek that is that the the meaning or fulfillment that you find or don't find in your work ends up being sort of intractably tied to your identity and your sort of conception of yourself and your maybe, you know, some of your self-worth. And so, then obviously things like losing a job or, you know, a boss disrespecting you or whatever are going to, those things are going to feel very, very bad. But it's also interesting because even your sort of your own judgment of your own performance then gets tied into that as well. And uh, feeling like you're not really showing up, feeling like you're not bringing your whole self to work. Those sorts of things can start to really generate some pretty toxic feelings uh, if you're not careful with it. Uh, when, when your identity is tied so closely to your work, ups and downs start to feel, I mean, there's no shock absorbers for them. They can really make or break your day and really cause sort of irrational exuberance or irrational kind of self-loathing. Oh yeah. That I've definitely been there uh, in the past. I think I'm, I think I'm more even handed about it now, but yeah, for a long time, you know, I mean here, I don't know how it is elsewhere, but at least here in the South, um, when you meet somebody, you get asked one of two questions. It's where you went to school and, um, you know, if you're an SEC man or not mm-hmm. and what you do, right. That it's just a way, it's just, it's a way that we label ourselves in, in our work. And you can take that question and just, you know, you know I, I do this from nine to five or whatever. Uh, but a lot of us, I think do identify like self-identify with what we do as, as giving ourselves worth um, and in a way that's not always healthy and in a way that can add anxiety and can add like what happens if you identify yourself with that and then your job goes away, right? Then what, right. um, then what do you do? Or if you have a bad quarter or your boss yells at you, whatever it is, right? Um, we, we, without those, those walls of separation, that damage, you know, becomes much deeper than it needs to be. Hmm. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard deal, especially when you're, just like when you're self-employed and like kind of do your own thing, like part of, um, like part of this, like if, if relay 
at some point in the future, you know, uh, fails or like goes away, then like, what does my public life on the internet look like after that? Like, how do I, Mm. you know, like I've got to deal with that. And like, that's a weird thing to think about and, and sort of selfish and maybe unhealthy, but it's, um, it's a real deal. Like when you identify like very closely with what you do, but like, I think it's super interesting to talk about work because I mean, it is, there is navel gazing in it, right? And you always have to, I think I always have to be aware of that, but yeah. because it's like, it's what we do eight or eight to 18 hours a day and like totally. work, unless you're just, unless, you know, just a, a rocket full of money lands in your front yard. Um, it's like work is the gateway to everything else in life in a way. Wait, you didn't get the money rocket? No. We didn't take any VC funding. I, I thought everyone really, had really one. messed up. Um, They're in beta right now. You might you might catch them on the yeah. next round. Uh, yeah. yeah, one aside from the fact that it's I totally agree. It's it's how we spend most of our lives. And I don't think at least for me, just personally, I did not spend enough time processing how I felt about it. And what I was really thinking about it. And yeah. uh, I did, there weren't very many occasions in my week or month to just kind of take a deep breath and step back and say, all right, what do we make of this thing? And mm. uh, the podcasting is a pretty great way to do that. And there's so many traps too. Like that's the thing about work is like there are so many places, especially if you're young and especially if you don't know anything and no one's telling you anything, right? Like you're just going and like getting some money and going home and like, I'm just happy to be here, yeah. you know? And there's so many traps where, like, you can end up just super anxious or depressed or whatever, and, like, you can wreck your life with work, you know, if you don't talk about it and process it healthily, you know? Yeah, no no doubt. We have to talk about this. We have to talk about how crazy this is. So I I was working overseas in Jakarta for about four years, uh, and uh, one of my – one such friend – uh, was a was a young man named Seth, and we uh, were both kind of into uh, technology and literature and a bunch of other stuff. So I ended up spending a ton of time over their house uh, with him and his wife Noel and their whole family. And at some point along the way, I said, "Hey Seth, you should really check out this new podcast network called Relay FM." Little did I know that you guys are old old friends from like yeah. way back. We went to church together we, went, we were in a men's group together i was in his wedding it's really yeah they're great uh, i love their family and uh i've had a, over the years i've had a lot of small world experiences with relay just because the size of relay the scale that we're at but yeah. this has to be <laughs> the most extreme example of it <laughs> that a guy that i shared an office with for like five years in high school and college yeah. and very close to for a long time uh that you got to know not in tennessee but halfway around the world yeah, it's pretty wild. Who uh, knew? It's pretty wild. So I just I just dropped this thing in the chat, um, and it's this four quadrant Venn diagram I came across on uh, on Facebook. <laughs> it's earlier. Made for, it's made for great radio. Let's let's spend the next ten minutes describing this image. <laughs> well, yeah, kidding. but I, I think it kidding. I think it's really interesting. I think it's really interesting because it uh, it lends itself to a particular interpretation of the world, right? So it's like it's these four quadrants: uh, what you love, what you're good at, what you can be paid for, and what the world needs. And mm-hmm. those things intersect in all the places. Um, and in the center, the place that all four of those overlap, they, there's the word ikigai, which is this Japanese word, which they translate as a reason for being. Hmm. Um, but the concept is a little 
like broader and bigger than that. And like, I know that in Japan it's been like attributed as the reason that Japan has like a longer life expectancy than other places in the world. Wow. And so the idea is that like of this, of this Venn diagram, right. And this particular worldview is that you should find the place that all four of those things overlap, what you love, what you're good at, what you can be paid for and what the world needs. Hmm. And then theoretically, if you can't get all four of those, it's better to have three than to have none, right? And so then they have like the satisfaction but feeling of uselessness of what you love, what you're good at, and what you can be paid for, but the world doesn't need it. Uh, or like comfortable but feeling of emptiness for paid for, good at, and needs but no love. And, you know, a couple of others. And I think this story gets sold to us a lot, right? And there's like a lot of these kind of visionary bro culture uh, you know, motivational YouTube videos or whatever, where they're like, you know, if you if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life, you know, just quit now, just do it all, you know? And I, I wonder to what extent that story lowers the bar for, like, actually loving something, right? And it, it kind of lets you tell yourself a story that says, like, oh, well, I'm doing what I love because I need to be doing what I love because I need to tell myself the story about doing what I love or something like that. Because, I mean, if you look at the actual society of Japan. I lived there for 15 years and, uh, you know, there is a lot of insanity around the relationship between people and their employers. Right. And people work insane hours and, you know, get off work at 11 and are in by seven the next morning. And, you know, the company is your life. And I wonder, I don't know. I I'm worried about the story we're telling about how you should love your work and how, you know, companies even telling the story of how, you know, we're, we're a family here and everyone, you know, we, uh, we, you know, we love each other and we're a family and it makes people feel really uncomfortable leaving or uncomfortable, you know, doing anything in their life that doesn't sort of further the, further the, the company's benefit. It worries me. And I think this graphic worries me in the same way. It's very attractive on its surface, but I, I think it, it kind of belies, uh, a weird like homogenization of like work and life that I don't necessarily like. Yeah, that is, that's a weird, like that's a weird thing. And anytime and I've worked places kind of like that, um, where they, you know, every, they wanted to be friends with everybody. And then when you got to let somebody go, then people freak out about it. Cause you've been telling them that you're, they're your best friend for a long time. But I mean, I understand why companies do it, but I'm always suspicious of it. Right. Of like, are you saying this because like you as the boss just don't want to have any confrontation? Are you saying this because you want people to uh, work longer and harder than they would otherwise? Like I always wonder what's going on behind the scenes uh, when a company's culture is that way. And, and maybe that's pessimistic of me or like not trusting people, but I, I do think people get taken advantage of through that or, or, at, or if, if not that strongly people get, uh, hurt by that when you know when they do get canned or they have to can somebody or uh you know the company undergoes structural changes and and it's like well we're all family until we've got to give you really bad news about your health insurance and those two things just don't jive and i think it leaves a lot of people damaged yeah and that's really uh i think it's easier when someone else is your boss and so this is this is kind of where i was going to end up going with this Stephen is like but now you're your boss, right? <laughs> um, yeah, right? You're your boss and and you are a family with yourself. Um, and, uh, 
you know, and, and Mike is, Mike is obviously not like your, your physical family, but you guys are co-founders of this company and you both have the same incentives, right? So there's not like an imbalance of incentives. Um, but, uh, how do you, how do you deal with that? Right? Like what, how useful are those tools that you learn for self-preservation and self-care and separating your work from, from your life and sort of protecting yourself from the never ending scope creep of a job? How useful are those tools when you get into the point where now now it's like how much money I spend on the or how much time I spend on this could actually affect like, you know, how well my company does and how much money I have 10 years from now and all of those other sort of questions. Yeah, it's it's absolutely vital to to think about that stuff. Um when I first quit my job and was doing relay full time, I, there, there was a lot of stuff in the company that needed to get done that had just kind of been waiting for me. So Mike had been full time for a, a while and I was, you know, still at work and, um, we, we got the business kept operating, but it, there was a clear imbalance. Right. And so I came on board and said, Hey, I'm gonna take all this stuff, uh, and all these projects we've talked about, I'm just going to make them happen because look at me. And I thought that I could just take my job out of my schedule and just like, slot relay and five twelve pixels and everything into nine to five and it was gonna be awesome. <laughs> and the truth is guys, it it wasn't. Like I worked way more than I did before when I had a job and a company because there was no there was no one telling me not to. And I was afraid that like you said it really well, right? Like the the time I put into this could have a real impact on my, like my financial security. And you know, we have three kids in a house and, you know, we gotta, we gotta keep this thing moving at a certain level or, or, you know, this doesn't work. And so I just, I worked myself into the ground and I made it to, you know, the holiday season in 2015. And I just, I felt terrible and, uh, you kind of living what a lot of people would consider the dream, right? Like you started a company, you know, not in your garage, but, you know, pretty close to it. And, you know, now you get to do it full time and you don't have, to have a boss anymore and you make your own schedule. And, and all that stuff was true. And I was thankful for it and I was happy to be doing it, but I wasn't happy. Like I was, I was, I was a wreck and it took a while to kind of dig out of that. And, and really what came out of that was, what you're getting at is that I didn't have any structure put in place to separate work from life. And the, the effects of that were wide reaching, not just that I was working all the time, even though I was, but that I was always at work, right? Like even if I wasn't working mentally, I I never left. And uh, it impacted my family life. It impacted my health. It impacted my mental health a ton and it just took some time to realize what was going on and to start putting those things in place. And I'm not here to tell you that I got it right. I mean, I try to end my workday at 530 every day, and I would probably say one to two days a week that doesn't happen because, you know, I'm recording something or I'm editing something and it's gone terribly wrong or I'm just, you know, I got a column due for somebody or whatever, and I just need a little more time to wrap it up. Um, but I have gotten better at that separation of being able to to kind of turn it off, you know, and, and when you own your own thing, you know, like if relay goes down, like the website, you know, goes up in flames at 10 PM, 
well, that's all, you know, I got to get up at 10 PM or, you know, stop what I'm doing and turn the movie off and watching with my wife and get my laptop and try to fix it. But, uh, thinking about it and like obsessing over it, I've gotten much better at being able to turn that off, but it's really hard because no one's there to tell you otherwise. And you don't, if you have a partner, you don't want to feel like you're working less than your partner. And I had, I had months of debt in that column. And so I was trying to like prove to him that I was a worthy 50, 50 split because even though I still had a job, you know, now I don't, and now I'm going to do all this great stuff and the company's going to double in size or double in productivity because I'm here. <laughs> and that was just really foolish. And, you know, I'd heard all those things. People had told me all this. People told me I was going to do this. And I was like, no, it's going to be different. It's never different. It's always this way when you go out on your own. I think everyone has to go through this. So when, how does the conversation go then? When you, when you hit the holiday season and you're burned out and you haven't like taken a day off in a while, um, and you're, you're tired and you like, you, you know, I've hit that wall where I'm like burned out and it's like, it's not all, it's past the point where like I don't want to be this productive anymore and it's to the point where it's like I'm trying to I'm still trying to be that productive and it's just not happening yeah. and like I'm just I'm failing at stuff. Um so you go to Mike and you say what and how does he take it? Uh well I went to my wife first and um Okay. Good. Yeah, I don't want to put the cart before the horse there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to your spouse first and your business partner second. Um <laughs> Even though there's way more legally holding me to Mike than my spouse, because, you know, it's very funny to think about that sort of thing. Yeah. We signed a lot of paperwork starting a business. Getting married is one sheet of paper. But um, yeah. it's a terrible joke. Don't repeat it. Um, but uh, so I went to her, and I've, so I've had in my life, I've had seasons of depression and anxiety, and I was in one of those. And mm-hmm. I just told her. I was like, one night just after the kids went to bed, I was like, I need to talk to you. And... Um, she had seen a lot of it. Some of it she hadn't because I'm, I'm good at faking it. And um, so we just had that conversation of, hey, this isn't working. And it's, it's not just that I'm unhappy or that I'm tired. It's like this, like something is broken in this situation. And um, mm-hmm. and she, she and I talked through it. I talked to Mike like the next day. Mike and I, um, not everyone has this. And some people hear us describe our relationship and think that we're crazy because Mike and I are very good friends. Um, we've been friends for a long time. I'm the best man in his wedding this year. Like uh, we're close and we share a lot. And one way we do that just as a sidebar is we use Slack because we're a company of the 21st century. Uh, we use Slack for all work stuff, but we use iMessage for our sort of friendship, right? So there are times where we're talking both places, right? We're dealing with some email from a sponsor or whatever in Slack. Uh-huh. And then I pop over and I'm just like, how's wedding planning? It's very, yeah. it seems very strange, uh, but it totally works for us. And, uh, but I call, but I called him and I said, Hey, you know, can, can you talk? And, and we had a call and I basically told him what I had told uh, my wife the night before. And he was, Um, as he always is, extremely understanding and extremely gracious in that because he he knew my history. We weren't really friends the last time I went through one of these. Um, We had only kind of just met and we weren't really close. But um, but he's heard me talk about it. I'm pretty open about it. And, And he basically told me, you do what you need to do, right? Like the business will be fine. Um, but you make sure that you're okay because, uh, 
we we need you for the long haul and you know this is an adjustment period and you need to be present for your family um so you you know you do what you need to do and whatever you need me to do to make that possible tell me and uh, it was such a huge weight off my shoulders i wasn't expecting anything less from him because it's just who he is as a person but it 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 that conversation made it it gave me permission to to feel bad if that makes any sense right because i felt ashamed that i wasn't loving life because i had like perfectly crafted everything and mm-hmm. um huh. the, the two of them together gave me room in that and gave me like i said permission is not quite the right word but kind of gave me validated that okay what you're what you're going through like it's real and uh let's get through it you know together you know as a group i mean separately and together and mm-hmm. um and so you know started making some changes uh some big some small and it in hindsight it seemed like it was i mean if i look at like steven in you know late summer 2015 when he quit his job it's like buddy, what are you doing? Like you're heading right for the wall, right? Uh, <laughs> we've all had those experiences with friends or with loved ones, right? Who are like just making bad decisions. And like one day it's going to explode in your face and then it explodes in their face. And you're like, oh yeah, look at that. And um, so I see that in, in past Stephen, but, um, but at the same time, I wouldn't be like where I am today in my work and personal life without going through it. Because I think, I, I think everything we go through is beneficial if we choose to learn and grow from it. And if we choose not to, then, um, you know, it's sort of a different conversation, but, uh, it's something that I think you don't have to be like an independent worker to go through this. Like you can have that nine to five job in a company that tells you that they love you and then they fire you. You're going to go through the same thing potentially, right? Because, you know, self-identity and worth mixed in with something that suddenly gets smashed to bits is, uh, is really complicated to, to process. So, um, like I don't even do time tracking, which horrifies my business partner. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, who's very much into time tracking, very much. Um, uh, I, it, oh yeah, I just, I'm on. I'm on the cortex. Too. Oh no, we can't talk about time <laughs> tracking. It's the it's the the end of the episode. I would, I but, would, um, listening to listening to cortex eventually became detrimental to my health because I was so anxious about all the things that I wasn't doing that I eventually had to stop listening. Well, you got to remember, Gray's a robot, and uh, but um, <laughs> he has no health to worry about. I got, I got a real question. Not to t- not to derail this thing, but is is is, is like you know I, I'm not going to ask you to say too much, but is any percentage of that a bit or is he really just on 24 7 gray yeah yeah uh i would say uh gray is full of surprises i'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> all right fair enough enough said babysit babysitting a puppy all the time who knew yeah that that was the, be- the best surprise <laughs> Nowadays, everyone has to depend on a certain number of like multinational corporations to get their life done, <laughs> yeah. right? Right. Um, and so you, it's very difficult to like not, you know, deal with either like AT and T, Comcast, uh, Apple, Google. You know, these these huge companies um, that you have to deal with to some extent, and you have to be a customer, and you end up with these emotional reactions to them. You know, and that's why like the whole science of like you know, branding and marketing, you know, those, 
those things exist because they know that people are going to have an emotional reaction to their company and they want it to be a good one. Um, but I'm interested not as much in like how can companies, you know, make your experience with them better, but like in the experience of being a person who has an emotional relationship with a company, because it's, it's a very weird thing. I, uh, I had a call with AT&T last night. And this is what made me think about this. I had a call with AT&T where there was a discrepancy on my bill. Uh, and the guy explained, to, it was something about how I returned an iPhone. Um, and uh, so the first guy I'm talking to explains to me that there was a $150 equipment non-return fee or whatever appended to my account. And then the next guy tells me that, that doesn't exist and he invented it and that's not a real thing. Um, and I, I was like, but... Isn't that like fraud to tell me that, <laughs> that that the money I owe you is for a thing that doesn't exist? And he was like, oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I had, I had this weird recording. I still have the recording and I'm planning on chopping it together and tweeting it out. But uh, I have this weird recording of me talking to AT&T where a guy is just profusely apologizing to me for another guy wow. who also works for AT&T wow. fraudulently telling me. It seems like they're going to they're gonna want to get that guy on script. Yeah. Seems like that's yeah. want to clean that one up. I wonder what if you yeah. if you had gone along with it. Is he like send you his like personal PayPal? Like, oh, just pay me at you know uh, <laughs> just grow fourteen at yahoo.com. I was like, <laughs> this doesn't seem this doesn't seem right. I so I ended up at like the higher tier of support, and the guy actually explained what the deal was with the money, and what his explanation made total sense. And so what it seems like is that the first guy just didn't know because mm-hmm. it was a complicated billing issue, right? Where like. I had agreed to send back the phone, but then I had changed my mind and apparently I had gotten charged an extra amount of money for it. Or that was his assumption, but I hadn't. Hmm. Anyway, long story short, I, uh, I'm now talking to this guy and he's like, oh man, I'm so sorry. Like, listen, I know that, you know, he's, he's like the pro customer support, you know, he's like the, the higher up and his job is to just like really just be a good dude on the phone yeah you know and so he's doing it he's he's being a good dude on the phone he gave me like a lifetime ten dollar a month discount on my at&t plan which i appreciated wow all this stuff right but i'm having this weird thing where it's like okay I'm, i'm not really mad at the first guy because that guy was like making minimum wage and didn't know enough or care enough to give me accurate information and like got me off the phone how he could and i have some sympathy for that you know and I'm not really mad at the second guy because he's just being a straight shooter doing his job. But the cumulative effect of my relationship with first guy and my relationship with second guy is that I now hate this company so much. <laughs> and it's, it's not, But I don't hate either of the two humans that I've interacted with on behalf of this company. And there's no one who I can really pin this to as like an individual human who is – the main problem it just seems like the main problem is this white ball with blue lines on it and i'm interested in that because you as like a guy who has talked about apple a lot of places for a long time that's a company that like i think for a lot of us is a company that we while we're often like frustrated by decisions they make or whatever a lot of us just love this company and we have we have an emotional reaction to this company that is like a strongly positive one and then you know there's these other companies like comcast or at&t or charter or everybody you know, whoever <laughs> that everyone universally despises and 
I think I feel more authentic and more like a real human when I hate a company than I do when I like it. Mm. And it makes me uncomfortable when I like a company too much. Do you feel like when you when you look, when you really like dig what a company's doing, do you get the feeling that they pulled the wool over your eyes? Yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've been had. <laughs> and I don't I don't like to be had. Yeah. I don't know, but it it's a weird thing. It's like paying attention to my own emotional state and the fact that like these things that aren't human and I cognitively know that they're not human, but I'm ascribing human characteristics to them and I'm having a relationship with them like I would with another human. But all all the thing really is is like a series of like financial exchanges I've had over the course of my existence. <laughs> it's very weird. Um so like what is what's your take on that? Cuz like you clearly you clearly have like some sort of a love for Apple and as do I, right? And I'm sure you hate your cable provider as well, you know? It, it's it's a super interesting thing to think about. Um, I mean, I do, uh, you know, I love the company, I love its products, but at the same time, my job is to give commentary on the company and its products. And so I, you know, may have a certain emotional attachment to what they make. And I, you know, I collect old Macs. There's like 30 of them in this little studio. I got a whole shelf of them. Um, and there's always going to be people who look at like what I do or what people, you know, in my business do and just write us off as fanboys. Like whatever, if you want to call me a name, that's fine. Um, you're not gonna hurt my feelings, but I really try to be not objective because I'm not, I'm not like a traditional journalist. I'm a, you know, I'm I do commentary. And so it's not, it's not objective in the sense that like what I learned in journalism school, but objective in the sense that I can separate, Hey, I really like what this company does. I like what they stand for politically. Most of the time I like their CEO and what he stands for. I like their products. Um, their fan base is my audience, right? Like, uh, people who like Apple listen to relay shows because we talk about Apple a bunch. All that's important. Mm -hmm. Um, but where people go wrong and where I try to um, have the the line of separation to go back uh, to that conversation is is identity, and there there are people in the Apple community just like any other just like any other community, right? I just I know the Apple one best, but mm -hmm. it's definitely true with Android users. Uh, I don't think it's true mm -hmm. with Windows users. Maybe some Windows users, uh, but it's it's true of gamers. Um, it's true of people who you know have you know do falconry, like whatever it is. Um, <laughs> there's some sort of line, right? Between I'm a fan of this thing and I'm super interested and I want to read about it and watch YouTube videos about it, listen to podcasts about it. And I take it personally when this company is attacked or I feel like I have to weigh in when anybody says anything negative about this brand that I like. Let's look at like the, where's the line, right? Cause this is, this is the thing that I always like to do is when, when something seems obvious on one side of a spectrum, I like to like go slowly down the spectrum yeah. until I hit like the point where it changes. <laughs> so clearly, if I if someone's like attacking me personally, then like I'm probably a pretty good candidate to defend myself. Right. Right. If someone's attacking a company that I own, say, then I'm probably a good candidate to defend that company. If someone's attacking the company of a very close friend of mine, I'm probably like an okay candidate to defend that company, right? 
But then you start to get into weirder places where it's like, well, if it's a small company that only has a few customers and I'm one of them and say I'm like fairly well known on Twitter, like then maybe I'm a pretty good candidate to defend that company. Right. And this happens with podcasts, too. Right. Like where you'll listen to a podcast and you feel like, you know, the podcaster very well. Mm -hmm even though they don't know you well, right? So there's an imbalance yeah, of... totally. The, there's an imbalance in the relationship, right? Um, and I think that's the same with companies as well, right? Like, I feel like I know Apple well, and, like, I've had the experience of, like, being an Apple customer for all these years, and, like, whatever brand goo they have is, like, rubbed off on me. Um, so I have this experience, and, like, it... While it doesn't, like, define my identity, it's, like, flavored my experience with a lot of the things I love that have added to my identity, especially as like someone who grew up on the internet. Right. Um, and so there's an imbalance in that relationship, right? Cause Apple doesn't care as much about me as I care about them. Um, and so my, my defending of them is, is less like it would be for a close friend where there's a balance in their relationship. Right. Yeah. But it, it's a weird, it's a weird thing, you know. Like I, I think these things are personal to people, and I wonder, for myself, like I'm sure I have some of these sort of like illogical things, um, and I'm I'm trying to like figure out what what's a good rule of thumb that I can use to start like analyzing my own, you know, behavior and experiences. Yeah. I mean, I think for for me at least, um, the example I always think of. And when it happens, I always feel myself at that crossroads, right? Like you're, you're at a big, um, you're at a big family get together, right? Just had the holidays, right? You're home for the holidays, you know, your dad's cutting a ham and your uncle leans over and says, Hey, how about that, that battery deal at Apple, right? Um, slowing down my phone. That's garbage. Like that moment. Right, right, right. You got to decide. And I get it more than more than most because it's what I do for a living, right? It's like uh -huh. family members save their questions for all year and they can talk to me. But um, Yeah, yeah. How come my contacts aren't synced? <laughs> yeah, that beats me. Um, reboot it. Uh, but that's the moment, I think. Uh, like how do I decide to answer their question? And not even in what I say, but in how it makes me feel. Like, do I feel like I can just mm -hmm. answer the question and be level-headed about it? Or do I feel emotionally charged because he's attacking my team? And mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we see it on Twitter 1,800 times a second. We see it on Reddit. see it all these places. But like in real life, like how, do, how does it make me actually feel? Because it's, it's easy. Emotions are so um, supercharged on the internet all the time. Like you can be mad about a tweet and then not remember it three minutes later. Again, probably not super healthy, but whatever. Like, what is it like in real life? Like, if you got with friends, something happens, right? So for me, that's that's the line of like, how do I feel about it? You know, not necessarily even what my answer is, but do I feel like I've been picked on, or like I've had to, you know, get in the trenches with somebody to like make them understand that, you know, whatever it is. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that's a fair answer, but I think that's for me at least. That's kind of where that is somewhere in there. It's it's interesting too, too, because I think. Um... Yeah, I, I love that idea of using your emotions as, a, as sort of a barometer for where you are on a given thing. I think that's a really interesting way. I think like, I think emotions are a great, they're a great indicator, like probably not a great compass to follow, but a, a, a really good indicator of sort of how you are processing stuff or what your relationship is to different things. But I think it's interesting also how much of this comes back to what you're talking about with sort of fan culture and mm -hmm. how the internet has changed fan culture. And now 
uh, I think more than ever, how much people find their personal identity in the things that they are a fan of. And I think that's, uh, it's, it, I guess that it kind of brings it full circle is this almost comes back to the, you know, the identity and work thing is, are you, as you seek out identity, as you try to seek out like where, where you are positioned in the world and what your relationship is to other stuff and who you are, you know, obviously be careful about doing that with, with work, but also it's probably worth thinking about who makes your stuff and, and where it comes from and whether or not you're really kind of strapped to the mast with a kind of amoral corporation who makes stuff. Yeah.